Yeah, see, you're still relatively relatively new to the Macintosh world, Stephen. So you don't quite understand how these things work. I'll explain you it have, to you later on. You, you, haven't, you haven't been fully I, assimilated. That's right. I don't yet wear the burgundy snuggy. I'm still wearing the novice one. <laughs> Actually, everything that uh, that you've heard about Windows applies at the proportional percentage in Macs. That's, I mean, you know, it just doesn't happen as often because, wow, there aren't that many of them. Why aren't there that many of them? Oh, well, that's another story. Uh, no, 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 no. You're not sucking me into this. You're just not. <laughs> I gave up these fights a long, long time ago. Listen, I here's think the... I should... I'd set the drag down on that reel. I could hear the line going out. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. Just, Obviously, I was, here, I was just sitting here listening, wondering what was going to happen next. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, the uh, Greater Camp David pilots do not listen to this podcast because, ah. as we ended last uh, the last episode, uh, we 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 made an impassioned plea to uh, to uh, uh, Greater Camp David pilots to please be careful out there. And no sooner did we finish that podcast than what happens? But two more, count them, two more aircraft wandered into the Camp David uh, restricted area, prohibited area. And uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of shaking my head in sadness here. It is pretty sad. Um, it's it's yeah, just, you know, we can make it sound a lot worse. Would you like to hear it sound a lot worse? That was the fifth time in a month. Yeah. De- uh, Jeb, so this in is your month, old stomping grounds. not even halfway over yet. Yeah. Jeb, this is your old stomping grounds. Is there something going on there? Is there something about that area? Uh, is there a it lack is, of... It, it is my old stomping grounds, and it isn't. Camp David is a good uh, 60 nautical from downtown D.C., mm-hmm. yes, which puts it uh, kind of out in the sticks in a rural area. What happens is you get people coming from upstate New York or western Pennsylvania um, who don't really think that they're really all that close to anything. They don't really know about Camp David. Um, they're, they're not in a, a real problem to anybody either. Um, they should be a lot more conscious of where they are and what's around them. And that's just basic navigation and situational awareness. And they're not doing a very good job of it, uh, but it's it's it makes us all look bad. We we are not professionals, but we can we can fly professionally, and this makes us look unprofessional. And um, it's it's we 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 can do better. We will do better. We must do better. Yeah. Okay. And you're right. We we should do better. We we we. We need well, to do better. But I just don't understand like it. Camp Davis. It's not like the Camp David airspace. Thing is even relatively new. That's not a, like a product of nine yeah, that's, that's, one that's by very itself. Good yeah, it, you know, that's that, a very it, good that, point. There's been prohibited airspace there yeah. for psh, since there's been airspace classifications. I mean, geez, I, I uh, would agree with that. One of the first things I learned when I moved to the D.C. area, I already had my my private by that time. But one of the first things I learned was the airspace and P forty, and it's been there since uh, the mid seventies. So. Uh, well, I, I, I flew hang gliders off the opposite side of the mountain. Sure. Uh, and we knew enough that – now, I don't know what they do there today, whether they can fly at all when the president's there or if they can fly when he's not. Uh, but in those days, we could fly there, no sweat, no strain, uh, but we couldn't go behind the mountain. Mm-hmm. And the mountain was a pretty that, obvious that. landmark. Well, that's my question. Is there, are, there, is it, are there good visual cues? 
Well, if you know Not what to look really. for, yeah. Well, you know, if, if you're looking side to side, you might see the odd F-16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Hagerstown uh, Airport is uh, right out in front? Hagerstown is near is is right out in front. Uh, Frederick is not that far away. Right behind him. Um, it's it's come on you know come on guys. The, the trick is that's just a you know in a lot of ways it's a fairly popular route for people wanting to come down the east side of the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah, is it? Um, it it's P forty right? P four zero. P forty zero. P dash four zero. Is it? Is it hot all the time, or only when the yeah. president's there? Yeah, it's hot all the. I, well, I think it's hot all the time. There's a, uh, there's a TFR the rest of the time, right? Well, yeah, okay. And how how less restrictive is the TFR? No, it's um, more restrictive. It's it's more restrictive in that it covers a greater area. Oh, oh, the TFR is when he's there. Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. P forty just exists. Period. And how high is P forty? P forty is like three or four thousand. I was thinking he had to be above one eight zero or something like that. It's been a long time since I've looked at um, that. But but the TFR takes it to one eight zero. Yeah, yeah. And, and I I was lucky enough to get to fly ultralights from out of I think, Frederick. I think and, all that, and, that, that's and, that's from memory, guys. So, you know, they might yeah. have changed it and yada yada yada. But uh, um, that's that's without any reference materials in front of me. So I don't know. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen, ultralights around with you know no GPS. We we had roadmap, we had sectional, and did a pretty good job of staying out of P forty. Then, uh, guys, the stakes are a lot higher now. Uh, You know, no more whiskey tangle foxtrot moments on this one. Find a different one. Yeah, Stephen, don't forget that you're not listening to the podcast tonight. You're in the virtual hangar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I. I look at situations like that, and I think to myself, I wonder if it is, to some extent, the the soft-headedness that pilots have um, developed because everybody's got a GPS and everybody simply follows the magenta line anymore, but that really ought not to affect this. Because I would think, if nothing else, the GPS is going to have P40 there in in you know, rich, full color, and you'll even get uh, alerts from the GPS. If it was a GPS made in this century, yes, it would have all of that. Uh, you know, the only exception might be if you're flying around with a marine one. But, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn uh, this guy. Any of these guys didn't even bother with a GPS. They, they didn't have one. They were just even out flying, you know, flying. Around. Hey, that, that's a cool looking mountain. Let's go look and see what that looks like. Or it is a pretty they're complex. Doing, they're just doing VOR navigation. They don't have a moving map in the cockpit. Uh, believe it or not, those people are still out there. Those airplanes are still out there. So is that I, VOR is in very off the route. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the chart in Runway Finder, which you know all disclaimers apply here. All right, this may or may not be the current chart, but it does in fact depict both P40. Um, and a larger um, circle, uh, which presumably is the TFR circle, um, you know. So Senator Inhofe says that we have a hard time getting notums. Um, you know how how difficult. Jack, 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 don't go there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Senator Inhofe. Tango, <laughs> So, Senator Inhofe aside, all right, um, we have heard stories about particularly TFRs not being properly notumed. Um, 
you know, for example, did any of these three over the weekend wander in here because uh, they got a yeah. briefing and they thought that they were they only needed to stay clear of Papa Forty? Um, I, I I know from a uh, flight service station employee that at least one of them did not get a briefing. Did, uh, didn't get a briefing or got a briefing and didn't get the notum. Didn't get a briefing. Yeah. Okay. Well, God bless him. You know what? He's a pilot, but lock him up. Well, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it's. I, I, I'm well, outraged. You get, you get I'm outraged. That you need to do that stuff. Yeah, Jeb. Go I'm ahead. I'm outraged at both sides of this. I'm outraged at the pilots, but I'm outraged at the system that that puts this nonsense in place. That is, you know, we're, it's 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 a violation bait to begin with. And it doesn't serve any useful purpose except for keeping some people employed. So, but that doesn't that doesn't eliminate or or over overcome the stupidity, and and, and rank amateur behavior of some pilots. Mm-hmm. It, uh, of course, one of these days, one of the three of us, four of us, is going to fly into one of these things. And, oh yeah, I'll probably do it tomorrow. You know? Yeah, I know, right? Um, I had a question. Now I've lost it. Um, Stephen, it doesn't involve Senator Inhofe. I don't. Care. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I made that mistake once. I'm done. Uh, Stephen, are there any ugly TFRs up in your neighborhood? Uh, I mean, you got that Canada thing. Um, how tricky is it not straying over the border there? Is that an issue? It's it's not tricky. It's it's usual, easily visually identifiable. Um, at least in Southeast Michigan, uh, I, I must remind everyone that. Uh, uh, I live north of most of what people think of as Canada, to wit, Toronto, um, and the you know the the border here is basically straight east. Um, I fly into Port Huron occasionally, shooting approaches, and if you take the um, I can't remember what the the runway orientation is, but it's it's pointing back to the west. If you take certain approaches, the the approach course will take you into or near Canadian airspace. Um, and actually, on a long uh, cross country flight repositioning in SR twenty two in May, um, we of course you know crossed uh, cross Canadian airspace out flying over uh, Lake Erie. Although that was you know fully on you know instruments, we were in you know hard serious IMC during that flight. But it's it's not really that hard. Uh, it used to be popular to call up um, Detroit City Tower, get flight following, and go fly the river corridor. Um, I think that's less popular since 9-11. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because the river corridor is along the national boundary, right? Exactly. The, the, it's somewhere out there in the middle of the river, which is like maybe a mile and a half wide at that point. You know, we, we get to look at Windsor. They, they get to look at Detroit. Um, I, I was seconded to a client for a little while in 07 in the 300 Tower of the Renaissance Center, which is that like uh, assemblage of uh, toilet paper tubes that appears in the, the Detroit skyline. And um, the, the Coast Guard dolphins go screaming up and down that uh, right on the borderline probably three, four times a day sort of reinforcing my belief that the Coast Guard has never snuck up on anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) no, okay. Uh, uh, um, Sneaking up on people has never been an easy thing at sea anyway. Correct. So, my experience with Canadian Canadian airspace, um, unless you're landing in Canada... It's really not an issue, presuming, of course, you're in you know, IFR flight plan. 
I flew several years, well, a few years ago, since 9-11, from Oshkosh to Albany, New York, nonstop, direct. And was in Canadian airspace uh, for a good part of that. Um, no issues. But you were on a flight plan. I was on an IFR. Plane. Yeah, you were on an IFR. Okay. It's, I, I think there's a fairly good working relationship between um, uh, Transport Canada and the FAA. Um, I mean, there are approaches, if memory serves, I've only flown them in a simulator, um, but there are approaches into Detroit area airports that, uh, that rely on nav aids that are located in Canada. Well, that's interesting. Are they maintained by Canada or by the U.S.? By Canada. I think yeah. there's just some sort of mutual agreement where the, uh, the nav aid is, uh, is incorporated into the approach. I figured that out when I was flying a Frasca 142 simulator. We're going to go fly this or that approach, and we realized we couldn't because the database only had U.S. nav aids, and that nav aid happened to be in Canada. Oops. Oh, yeah, wow. okay. Well, that's pretty interesting. So, anyways, I say again, if you're flying anywhere near the Washington, D.C. extended area, please be careful. Please get get a and, briefing. And, 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 and remember and, and, also that if you're flying VFR within 60 nautical miles of um, the Washington Vortac, you're supposed to have passed, completed and passed, an online... Uh, exam, an online quiz right. put together by the FAA specifically for your operations in that airspace. And you got to um, carry the document with you're you. Supposed to, well, you there's, yeah, it's, it's not it's kind of fuzzy to get a piece of paper with you. The FAA has, you know, in its database verification and you've got, you know, you can easily produce the verification if needed. But um, 60 nautical miles of, of the Washington Vortac, you're supposed to have this course completed and be able to demonstrate it um and a lot of people i'm sure i'm i bet you these three guys last weekend didn't know a clue yeah yeah anyways be careful out there well whatever you do when you're gonna go fly even if it's just something relaxed and recreational don't pull an inhoff <laughs> don't <laughs> careful careful you can get in trouble there hey welcome folks to episode 243 i think 243 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got skywriters now we got skywriters got sky does that say you can't i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey's national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on, uh, I think it's Tuesday evening, July 12th, 2011. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is a whole bunch of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from somewhere near Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great, man. We're having a cold snap today. That's it's what I was going to ask you about. to 97. Uh, I saw I, the other, yesterday I had occasion to look at, uh, <laughs> look at uh, uh, a bunch of uh, weather observations, and it said 100 degrees in Wichita. I'm going, well, good for and you. That, that wasn't the high yet. Really? How hot did it get yesterday? That 105 and Sunday 111. 111? Yeah. Yeah, it broke a record on Sunday. It record skips badly now. And I think we came close to a record on Saturday as well. So it triple digit. Goodness so. gracious. I hope everybody's okay, all kidding aside. That's nasty weather. Well, there's 
They're selling air conditioners. Yeah, I bet. And if they haven't run out, that's the problem. They, by now, they've run out. And, uh, anyways, well, I'm glad you're doing well, and, uh, and, and I hope it hasn't brought you any too nasty thunderstorms and tornadoes and stuff. Is it still tornado season out there, or is that over? No, it's never completely over. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's one of those. It rarely happens sometimes of the year and more often happens than others. But I see. Yeah, as long as we're getting weather this hot and sometimes moist enough, the potential's there. Uh, you can still get a kick-ass straight-line wind out of a plain old level five that'll make your house shake. Yeah. And also here in the virtual hangar is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing tonight? I'm fine, thanks for asking. Um, weather here is a lot more moderate than 111. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. 85, 90, you know. Of course, the humidity is 1,000%, right? No, it's not. Not, not when it's that high. It's, 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 it's high in the mornings. It, by, the t- by the time midday gets around, it's not that bad. There's a breeze. As long as you're in the shade, it's not all that bad at all. Yeah. I have to tell you, it's a thousand percent here. We've reached that time of year in New England, where yeah, well, humidity is kind of a fact of life down here. Yeah, yeah, you probably. That's why everybody, everybody has a pool in their backyard. It is so humid, a sponge would drown. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and also joining us in the virtual hangar this week is our good friend Steve Tupper, who's talking to us from somewhere near Canada. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, eh? <laughs> How you doing? You're you're like, and in a minute after I finish the introductions, I'm going to ask you a couple. Of qu- I want you to talk about something because we're pretty fascinated. But you are like the busiest guy in aviation. I mean, I used to say Higdon was, but you are now officially the busiest guy in aviation, all right? Because I, I, you know you're busy working on the Acrocamp One movie. You're busy prepping for the Acrocamp Two movie. Uh, what else? You just did a competition. Um, I seem to remember that you got another ride in some sort of Air Force hot iron the other day. Does that, am I remembering that correctly? A week ago, two weeks ago, something like that? Uh, it was uh, it was civilian. It was uh, it was an L thirty nine. Oh, okay. Uh, four ship demo team. Still, Yeah, still. So you're a busy guy. I I, I want to hear more about what you're up to. But welcome to the virtual hangar, Stephen. Thank you. For the I only do what I do in the hopes of. Of someday being invited back into the virtual hangar, it's the the sole reason. Okay, let me tell you, Steve, you don't have to go quite that far. All right, it's not, it's not yeah. that, not that and difficult. I, and I wore flip flops tonight. I know, because listen, I, I like, <laughs> and 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 I, it sort of brings up the you know I'm just looking at the show notes. Why are we all naked? <laughs> I don't. I don't see that in the in the show notes. Well, this is, this is why, Steve. This is why we don't do video. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Jack, I, I tried to pause there so you could cut that out. No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm not too taking late, that out. <laughs> <laughs> and before David gets all worked up, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from high atop Lookout Point. In uh, it's raining, and there are thunderstorms in the area, so anything is possible. Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, um, and I am so jealous. Yeah, I bet you are. I bet you are. So, uh, so Stephen, the first thing, and I'm going to kind of spread these out over the uh, next hour and a half or so, but uh, I think the first thing I wanted to ask you about was Acrocamp. Um, so y- you're not even finished with Acrocamp 1, but you couldn't wait to go ahead with Acrocamp 2. Let's talk about Acrocamp 1 for a second. W- what's the status? Where is it at? Um, um, Acrocamp 1 is in post. Um, a great quantity of the music is done. Um, as as you may or may not know, the the music for Acro Camp One and and you know eventually for Acro Camp Two is being composed, recorded, 
and otherwise put together entirely by the cast, crew, and fans of the movie. This mm-hmm. is where we're not getting Nathan Wang, we're, we're not getting uh, David Kniper, much as that would be cool. We are, we're doing it all ourselves. So that is, we, I think we've got everything we need recorded. Now, uh, let, me, let me interrupt you for a second here. Before you go on, um, for those who are not in the know, give me, give me 30 seconds on what is AcroCamp all about. What, what's the absolutely. deal? AcroCamp. Um, we took four pilots. We put out the casting call. Uh, we asked for four pilots, that none of whom had a tailwheel endorsement and none of whom had flown any appreciable acro. Um, a, a, an upset recovery course or the spin training required for a CFI would not knock you out, but really nothing more than that. 51 people from around the country and including Canada um, submitted applications and for any of those who have seen the application either last time or this time, it's really comprehensive. It requires essays. There's some math. Um, it's not an easy application, but 51 people applied. We interviewed 10. We got it down to four people, two men, two women, uh, ranging in experience from a uh, brand-new 300-hour commercial pilot, uh, Jim Rodriguez, who's uh, Air Force major but you know not a pilot in the Air Force. He, he was Space Command, and he's now part of the JAG Corps all the way up to Paul Berliner, who's a 12,000-hour airline driver who had forgotten what his feet were, were for, um, also including Michelle Cole and, uh, and Linda Meeks, um, uh, both of whom many have come to know either at uh, aviation events or over airspeed or whatnot. We brought these people together in Michigan for four days. We took over a Part 61 flight school. We put out on the ramp a Citabria, a Super Decathlon, and a Pitts S2B, we had two acro talented instructors, Don Weaver and Barry Sutton, and we put cameras in the airplanes and digital audio systems in the airplanes um, with a couple of cameras on the ramp. And then the four the four pilots flew their very first aerobatics for four days, and we captured everything. We've got somewhere between 110 and 140 hours of footage. They flew 41 sorties, including three solo flights by two of the pilots. And we are in the process now of trying to cram all that down into, you know, roughly uh, 140 minutes worth of movie. It will be a feature length uh, documentary film capturing the experience that these four pilots had uh, flying aerobatics for the very first time. And so you're you're nearing the. I'm sorry, Jeb. I'll let you ask a question in just a second. Um, Steve, you're you're nearing the end of the editing process. I mean, do you have some sort of rough date of when you're going to have this thing finished? The it keeps moving back. I really wanted to have it out by the time we shoot the second one, which I'm sure will be the answer to a future question. But it's it's going to be sometime like late late summer, maybe early fall. Uh, there are some resources, not the least of which is uh, some of the post production sound, where I am uh, I am begging favors from from various people. And the you know my ability to to get stuff done at a given time is a little bit limited by you know their schedules because they're being very kind to to do things for the project. But um, cert, I mean, I'll, I'll throw this throw it out there this way. Certainly by Christmas, I had planned to do a whole bunch of this in January and February. Um, I ended up with a weird freak bacterial infection in my calf of all things. Um, and spent like February on the couch or in the hospital. All that having been said, I've since gotten out. My medical is renewed. I'm I'm fit to fly. Everything's fine. It was just one of those weird things. 
but um, certainly by Christmas, actually a hell of a lot sooner than that, um, I am still 100% gung-ho on the editing of Acro Camp 1. Uh, there will come a time, there will be a ramp-up between now and August 25th where I, you know, am paying more attention to the pre-production and then production of Acro Camp 2. But uh, that's where it is. The, the, the music is, all the stuff is recorded, it just needs to be mixed. Um, the... And, and frankly, this is allowing me to shoot a lot more B-roll. I spent a lot of time at the IEC event getting interviews, uh, interviewed people at Battle Creek uh, this past Independence Day weekend. So it's you know it's kind of hard to to print some of the sequences because I'm getting you know additional good content, and it's mm-hmm. really working out well. Now, now that you've had a chance to wade through all of this footage, and I know from just watching that there's a huge amount of footage. Now that you've waded through all this footage, and I presume you've waded through it all. Um, was it what you expected? Was there anything that took you by surprise when you actually started to piece this story together? The thing that took me by surprise is that the I put a lot of emphasis on the aerial footage, and you know, frankly, it's an, it's a movie about flying, and that's appropriate. The most of the the storytelling. Uh, happens on the ground in either the confessional cam or the pre-flight and post-flight interactions with uh, Don or Barry, things like that. The the movie's going to have a lot less um, aerial footage than I thought there would be, um, mainly because for whatever reason it's it's uh, the 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 face. I got the O face on a number of people, uh, which is what I was looking for. That's why I said no acro, no tailwheel. You got to come. You know, fly your first acro on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reactions were not as extreme in the air as I thought they would be. Although they're stunning and they're beautiful, it's the the, the big reactions are sort of somebody has a chance to unstrap and walk away from the airplane a little bit and begin to think about what they just did, and you can see the 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 face kind of light up with everything from elation to. Oh my God! I survived, and I did not expect that. I expected the epiphanies to be obvious on camera in the airplane. The fact of the matter is that um, you know all all four of these people were fairly accomplished pilots to begin with, which is good, and did a great job of of you know aviate, navigate, communicate, and and which was about ninety nine percent aviate uh, in the air. Good footage, but the the real story happens in the in the confessions. Yeah, um, Stephen. I- yeah, I and not to give away the story or anything, but I, I it it, it, it kind of took me surprise. I was there as a hanger on, as a kind of a groupie, um, and I thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, it, it was a fascinating, fun weekend, and uh, the. Uh, the 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 four pilots' reactions to the whole thing was in almost every case completely different than I might have predicted. Um, you know, you, you, it's like you say you've got you know former military pilot and an airline pilot and a, a gung ho I'm not afraid of anything pilot. You know, and they all either approached their first acro flight or came back from their first acro flight with a very very different reaction than than what I knew about their background made me predict, you know? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, you know, Linda Meeks, um, Army Huey pilot, um, later did, um, got a fixed-wing rating, and by the time we got her on the cast, she was a furloughed NetJet Citation 10 pilot. Um, and, And Linda says in her confession after the first flight, hey, I was this close to just telling Barry, let's turn around, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, 
Paul Berliner was perhaps the most predictable. Um, he said one of the coolest things, and I'm, the, the audio didn't come out as well as I wanted to. I'm going to see if I can get Scott Canizero to polish it for me. Um, Paul's comment was, I have for the last de- you know few decades been a systems manager. I haven't really flown. I'm so looking forward to you know, flying a general aviation airplane in the first place, much less fly upside down. Um, Michelle Cole, 300-hour CFI from uh, Monterey, California. Um, it might be because of the time difference, jet lag, and so on, but we got, our, uh, got her up on her first flight, a couple of loops, pulling Gs, and Michelle was just knocked out for yeah. the remainder of the day. She yeah. was laying down on the ramp. Yeah, yeah. so it was all very interesting. I, I just can't wait to watch the movie, and uh, we should probably move on, but uh, it, it's going to be very cool. But now, uh, uh, last time I asked you to give me 30 seconds, and you gave me two minutes, but that's okay. It was a good two minutes. Uh, Acrocamp 2, what, what can we expect? Acrocamp 2, same thing. We're in the process of talking to the, uh, the applicants. As soon as we're done here tonight, I've got two applicant interviews. Um, Acrocamp 2 is slated to take place at the Ray Community Airport, 5-7 Delta. It's in Macomb County, Michigan. 2,500-foot um, paved, and there's a crossing grass runway. And we're working on the same lineup. Sotabria uh, Super Decathlon and the Pitts S2B. Don and Barry are returning. Will Hawkins is going to be director of photography. David Allen is showing up to uh, help out with tech. Uh, Jim Rodriguez will probably return. Roger Bishop has indicated an interest in showing up, and we sure as heck hope we get Jack Hodgson. Oh, I'm going to be there. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't think what, of what What are would... the dates for this, Steve? Uh, why don't well, we t- you... you want to tell the dates offline, Stephen? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll okay. mind. Uh, don't. But part of the part of the deal with with Ray and with Burr's flight training, the, the the school is they're they're really interested in exposing the airport to everybody, and it should be exposed. It's a wonderful airport. Arrival day will be August twenty fifth, and we'll do the ground school that evening. Um, the plan is to, and that's day zero. Uh, the plan is fly Friday, Saturday, day one and two. Uh, day three will be an off day. Um, to let her be rest up and also allow us to, you know, maybe throw a bit of a bash on the evening of day two. And then days uh, uh, four and five, Monday, Tuesday, are going to be fly days again. And folks will then depart uh, in the afternoon and evening of day four, which will be August 30th. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I mentioned before, I, I was, uh, for Acrocamp 1, I was just basically a groupie and hanging on and, and just observing and having a good time. I, I'm, I'm very, very pleased uh, to have been offered a little bit more formal role in Acrocamp 2. We're excited about that, too. The, it's, it's very clear that we need a writer, uh, someone with your observational skills to sort of identify um, emerging storylines and what's going on tell us where to point the cameras if we don't have them in the right place so jack we're as excited as can be cool and uh so unfortunately though we're not going to see acrocamp 2 until what you know about the same time the it's about the same time that, that adsb and next gen are done right i don't know <laughs> well any kind of luck i've got the workflows a little bit more worked out i would and, imagine uh, actually the yeah. next one will be faster i'm teasing you looking forward to oh, all I'm, of it it's gonna be very cool you guys have any other questions no okay no uh, David, here's an airplane for you to fly, the FLS Microjet. Uh, is, this, is this the one that looks like the, this is the BD Jet, right? Well, is that the old BD Jet? That's what I'm asking it's about. I think it is. That, that, it that is. Because from what I've read elsewhere, it, 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 if it looks like a BD Jet and, it, and sits like a BD Jet and, and, and flies like a BD Jet, uh, it's probably a BD Jet. Yeah, uh, that would be like the BD five with the jet engine. So what's and, different man, about more this? Power to them. Well, it sounds like they've lined up an engine, which has been the, the power plants have been the plague of that design 
from the get-go. I don't remember for sure the original engine that was uh, uh, that, that was designed with in mind. I, I think it might have been a Honda, like a Civic engine, the early Civic. You know, the little two-place right. roller skate with a with a motorcycle engine. Right. It was a pusher prop at the time, right? Uh, yeah. 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 It was a yeah. pusher. Uh, and that didn't work so well. And a couple of other solutions came along, and then. Uh, a couple of folks adapted some uh, unusual jet engine solutions, and it became a, a, a you know a, a showpiece. There were enough airframes around that they could do some serious show with them. They take the wings off of it, put it in a little bitty trailer, and tow it to the air show. Yeah, okay. And put the wings back on, you know, put like 18, 19 ounces of kerosene in it, and fly it for 15 minutes. Now, um, and this, so this is the same, basically the same airframe that, that James Bond threw, flew through a hangar in that movie all those years ago, right? You know, you yeah, know pretty that, much. You know that was you know, a special effect, right? Uh, I've heard that some guy actually flew it through a hangar. Corky Fornoff actually flew it through there, but it's, it's not, you know... Um, it's not something you do, you know, don't, don't, don't try this at home. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Absolutely right. But uh, um, so this is that. It, it's a cool looking aircraft. It looks like it might be fun to fly. I, uh, well, they even call the company BD hyphen micro technologies. BD, huh? I can't imagine where they came from. Uh, they're playing off the BD 5J and uh, available as a complete package with a real live Supportable engine? That'd be interesting to see. It yeah. really would. Now, Beatty is uh, what's his first name? Jim, James, Jim, yeah, Jim Beatty. Jim Beatty, uh, and and you know, kind of somewhat legendary in in the aviation world. Um, he's always struck me, and I've never met the man, and I'm not qualified to really evaluate his designs. But he's always struck me as a guy who's got a lot of very exciting, interesting ideas that that don't come to fruition for one reason or another is is that an accurate description in large part yeah uh he seems like the kind of guy that designs that actually got reproduced uh as experimental airplanes to some extent uh including a design that was uh, a whole lot like a, a 172 on steroids that wasn't quite a 182 uh he did a kit jet uh he was he, he he was kind of the design brain behind the uh, uh, oh Jiminy the Grumman airplanes the Tiger and uh, Cheetah uh, he, he he was an early influence on those yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah. David it, it, I don't know he, he seems like the kind of guy that you might have drank some scotch with at some point have you ever met him no I never have really. Uh, uh-huh. I've already always regretted that because he 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 was basically around here for a lot of uh, right. the work that he did. Now he's still with us, right? As far as I know, yeah. Uh, I have not looked at that in a long time. I, I believe uh, he his is. last big his last big flirtation with the uh, with public acceptance was the BD10 jet. Oh, that's right. Was, that was a cool looking airplane, right? That was oh a little, yeah, two place composite. Mini F eighteen kind of thing. Yeah, and the uh, the reaction from the regulatory community was absolutely. We're really excited about that. Just remember, you're going to need this kind of flight experience before we're going to give you right. a letter of authorization. 
uh, it didn't help it along, and it, it never came to fruition. Jim's got kind of a mixed bag of a reputation, a really clever designer. Uh, like Jeb said, he was kind of the early brains behind those airplanes, and other guys like Roy Lepresti helped refine them into really good airplanes. But one of Beatty's trademarks was a uh, tubular wing spar with ribs that slipped slipped over that and fastened to the to the tube, and that tube, if it was manufactured and built up with the with the the ribs properly, could also serve as the fuel tank, and that helped keep center of gravity changes pretty much neutral when the fuel burned off. At least yeah. that was part of the idea. Yeah, um, Jeb, have you did you ever meet Jim Beatty? I never did. I, I was just looking on on Wikipedia. He, he apparently is still alive, but there's not even a birth date on the on the article. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, yeah. you know how old he is or anything like that. Yeah, Stephen, you got any insights here? Uh, but there's a fairly substantial Wiki, Wikipedia page. Yeah, I, I don't. Other than I'm just amazed that you can build one of these things under the under the uh, the 51 percent rule. That's well, read, that's, read some that's of kind of exciting. Print on this website, um, they're they're talking about some fairly you know. You know, full disclosure kind of stuff. You got to get an LOA from the FAA. You, you have to end up with a a, um, a BD5J experimental type rating um, to receive the letter of authorization. It is recommended that pilots have at least 1,000 hours of flight time, including 100 hours in turbojet aircraft. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, says home builders will be required to build the FLS microjet under professional supervision in a builder assistance program at BD Microtechnology. Um, it does have the 51% um, um, approval, apparently. The, the thing that, that appeals to me, and this is purely dream state, um, after having embedded with an L-39 team and, and really thinking to myself, how cool would it be to be able to fly a jet with some sort of regularity, you know, this might, you know, for the for the guy who can't afford an L-39 or something of that nature, uh, I wonder if, you know, this might be the way to make good on that dream for some folks out there. It could well be. It could well be. The, the, the only other thought I would have is this is a single-place aircraft. Right. Can't take anybody with you, which, which might be a good thing, you know. But... Um, you know, it's it's fairly still limited, I would think, even though it is a jet. Yeah, yeah, agree. Well, there's there's such a huge deja vu all over again because this airframe has been revised and recycled and returned. I saw the, the if I remember right, these folks had a little bit of an exhibit at Lakeland this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the issue with the airframe? I mean, is there is there a problem with it? Or there they, is not a problem with the airframe that I've ever heard about. Uh-huh. It's just it's just I've not your everyday airplane to fly. Been, yeah, it's all been the the power plants and the systems. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 fundamental airplanes. Really, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Okay. With today's today's microelectronics and the avionics and 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 the common nav equipment, uh, man, let you build the airplane so capable at such a lower weight than ever before. Uh, you know, with the right power plant, it it could be quite a good thing. But like Chip says, it's probably not a bad thing that it's a single place airplane. <laughs> it's gonna be well. It reminds me a little bit of the 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 first Learjet, the twenty three. There was not a 
mandatory dual pilot requirement for that airplane uh, early on. Uh, dual flight decks and business jets came along kind of as a result of some uh, not airframe issues, but handling issues with some of the early business jets. It, it was like very easy for them to get away from you. Uh, you built up speed fast, and it, then it didn't take a whole hell of a lot of pull in thick air for that to 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 maybe stress that spar just a little bit more than yeah. you really want. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, so yeah. But I take it, um, you know, subject to getting all the right sign-offs, we'd all fly this airplane if we could. Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Information. Yeah. Um. So this guy put a ballistic parachute of some sort on, I don't know if it was actually a BRS, but he put a, put a ballistic parachute on his Cessna 182, and then, like, practically the very next flight, he needed it. And uh, It was the next flight. The, I'm reading from the flyingmagazine.com, flyingmag.com, uh, Flying Magazine's website. The aircraft owner and pilot, who only two days earlier had a BRS whole airplane recovery parachute system installed on his Cessna 182, survived the crash of his skyline into tall trees in Holly Springs, Mississippi, on Wednesday when he, when he deployed the chute. Um, that's, a, uh, that's a BRS-approved installation. Okay. That's um, an STC that they got. Wow, this was good luck, huh? <laughs> yeah, B- BR- BRS got STCs approved, I want to say, in 2001 or 2002. Full disclosure, I own a, microcos- you know, a microscopic amount of BRS stock because I refused to sell it. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the reason I bought in was because they, they were just getting ready to get the STC issued for the 172, which I thought would just be world-beating, which you know explains why I'm not a retired successful investor. <laughs> um, I, I think it, I think the system makes a little bit more sense for the 182 in as much as there's a fair penalty in useful load by the time you get that thing installed. It's yeah. I mean yeah. a 172 is probably a two plus two as opposed to four seat airplane in the first place with enough fuel to really go somewhere, and the BRS obviously pulls from that. But, you know, the, the aftermarket element is what excited me about the company. Uh, I'm definitely unhappy about the guy bending his 182, but, you know, that, that it maybe raises awareness that this thing's available as an aftermarket thing. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the ballistic recovery chute regardless, have been since they were only available in, um, in, in ultralights. And, you know, really interesting, really interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think most all of us have kind of accepted that these airplane chutes are, are a good workable idea. They're obviously saving lives. Um, are, are we suspicious about this particular instance? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody want to comment on this? Nobody wants to go on the record. Okay. Um, so uh, the guy did save his life. He got himself jammed up and uh, popped the chute and went down in the trees and hurt the airplane pretty good. But uh, but I don't know if he walked away. But uh, no, actually, he hurt himself. A pilot who was identified local news by the local news channel as a local attorney, John Booth Faris, was listed in critical condition, although he was able to extricate himself from the wreckage to await help. So, uh, yeah, th- wow, that doesn't hurt. sound good, does it? No, it doesn't sound great, but uh, you know, it's better than you know, augering in, or as they say, doggy augering in. Uh, well, you know, there, there's parachutes today that seem to have uh, 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 some uh, a demonstrable record for saving people that have them and use them at the right time in the right way. Uh, airbags for airplanes are starting to get a 
traction and are retrofitable as well uh, and apparently have much less impact on the load and CG of the airplane. I'm telling you, what we need is we need that, that, that external airbag thing that the Mars rovers used, okay? Yeah. So that, you know, when your airplane's about to crash, suddenly, poof, you're surrounded, 300, you know, all, all around by a sphere of balloons, and then you just go bouncing along the cornfields. As, <laughs> as, as bouncy as that thing is, you know, yeah, Jeb. Out in certain areas of the country, we could just use that as a mode of transportation. <laughs> aim, aim the airplane down, and it starts bouncing across the prairie, and we save gas, and, and what the heck. Yeah, yeah. So trips upwind might be a little tough. Yeah. I'm not saying it's for everybody all the time. <laughs> right. but, but, you know, for the right application, could be just the thing. Just the thing. Jeb, you put this on the list, and I don't quite understand this story. Your, your headline was, Wonder How Much This Costs the Plaintiff. Um, and I should say here that we put this on the list before we knew Steve was going to be with us. Steve, you're not wearing your lawyer hat today. Don't worry about that. All right. Um, Jeb, what's your thing about this, uh, about this 28-page opinion? Somebody, somebody. Um, Jeb, you went way off in the distance. What'd you change? How about now? That's about better. Now? Yep. Okay. Uh, back in 05, a, there, a plane crash occurred. I know that comes as a shock. This was in Lakeland, Florida. Um, pilot Don Palace and his passenger Jose Martinez, a 48 year old doctor, were killed. It was a Cessna T337 Golf, a turbo Skymaster. Um, da 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 da. Plane experienced an abrupt pitch up during the initial climb. Um, an early, uh, a lower court had ruled that um, because of, I presume, the, the General Aviation Revitalization Act and its statute of repose, uh, that um, there could be no lawsuit brought against the uh, the owner of the uh, yeah the operator of the airplane. Uh, in a 28-page opinion, and the. By a vote of five to one, the majority agreed the federal law applies to damages or injuries occurring, quote, on the surface of the earth, unquote, or, quote, on land or water, unquote. The court decided that because the, the um, party uh, after whom the uh, suit was brought, Martinez, he wasn't physically on the ground, but was a passenger inside the aircraft, uh, the court case can go forward. Um, so wait a minute. Does this is this the, the, the aircraft? The airplane hit the ground. He was a passenger in it, but because he didn't have physical contact with the ground, um, the this this appeals court is saying that this lawsuit can go forward because he wasn't in physical contact with the ground when, it hit, when the airplane hit. I, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying here, but what it sounds like you're saying is that that terrific law that got passed what almost 20 years ago that revitalized general aviation manufacturing doesn't apply to things that are in the air like airplanes <laughs> well that's that's what the, that's the chaffy these guys are trying to stretch yeah. Yeah. uh and that's the second kind of weird interpretation of a federal law that i've read about in in, in as many weeks uh the other one's Kansas, too so bizarre and too political for me to go there but it's like Kansas, turning an interpretation inside out not on its head just freaking inside out and saying oh well uh, he wasn't on the ground. He he was in an airplane. Yeah, Jeb. What were you saying? I was going to say Dave's lives in Kansas, so we ought to be used to you know court decisions like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyways, the upshot here is that this lawsuit is it, has it gone? Is it is it now going forward, or has it been decided? 
I don't no, know. It's this been is, remanded to a lower this, yeah, court. This is a re- appeals court decision. I see. So what you're saying here, Jeb, is this is a bad thing. I think it's stupid. There's the people are, are inventing law. Uh, not that I, not that this is you know uh, SCOTUS podcast or anything like that, but uh, these guys are just inventing the law to, to suit themselves and and you know, uh, cutting. Uh, I'm sorry, um, splitting hairs. Uh, he, he wasn't on the ground because he was in an airplane that hit the ground. Oh, come on. Give me a break. I see. Okay. Anyways, uh, Stephen, no wrong answer. You want to add anything to this? Yeah, my only thought on the list, and here's, here's why a lot of podcasts are always so horrible. Um, uh, one of the things I do in the day is is manage uh, the transactional aviation practice uh, for the law firm, and we've also got some litigators. I was unable to find out whether we've got a dog in the fight. And and, ah, okay. yeah, and, right. and 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 therefore, am discretion being the better part of valor? Absolutely, uh, I thought I would fly it. <laughs> perfectly uh, reasonable. That's a, perfectly yeah, reasonable. It is. It is very interesting and worthy of comment, though. Yeah, it's it's just going to be bad enough for you that you appeared on the same program where one of the talking heads said that these people that voted for this uh, interpretation should be this month's prime candidates for membership in the United States Maroon Corps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on, was, moving on. Higdon, Higdon, H-I-G-D-N. <laughs> moving on. Hey, so I came across, no, I came across, I was, uh, I was shown this uh, picture by way of Twitter that I'm dragging my feet waiting for it to come up on the screen here uh, that shows... Well, no other than our guest Steve Tupper uh, standing in front of a, uh, I don't know, what kind of airplane is that, Steve? Is that a, that a Pitts? That is, that is the Acrocamp Pitts S2B. Yeah. And so you participated this past weekend in, was this your first competition? My very first competition. And what competition? What what what's what what what's this competition <laughs> called? What what was the yeah. contest? <laughs> yeah, it was the the International Aerobatic Club uh, Michigan Aerobatic Open held at the Jackson County Reynolds Field Airport uh, between the seventh and tenth of July, and uh, I am. Uh, I am now officially the second best beginning competition aerobatic pilot in Michigan. <laughs> That's actually very awesome. Congratulations. Very That's, cool, Steve. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm cool. going to ask how long that list is. How, uh, I, I can tell you that there were three competitors. I did <laughs> one, and and I, I believe, I recall, he is a listener. Mike, you flew like a hero, man. It's a pleasure to share an airplane and a safety pilot with you, sir. <laughs> Tell us about how that, what was that like, Steve? This is your first competition, um, and uh, was it what you expected? What was it like? Oh, boy. It was, and I'll, I will try to monopolize no more of, of the show than is necessary, but it's mm-hmm. unbelievably cool. People need to realize that average guys and gals from their 20s to their 70s get together at, comp- at contests like this throughout the country, you know, during the summer months or whenever it's flyable, and... The, it, it's a it's a crawl walk run sort of system. It's put on by the local chapters of the International Aerobatic Club or IAC, which is a daughter organization to the EAA. Um, there is a primary category in which I flew. Uh, there's also the sportsman, intermediate, advanced, and unlimited. So there is a category for every level of aerobatic skill. Um, I believe you can fly with a safety pilot all the way through, I think it's either sportsman or uh, intermediate, 
which makes a whole lot of sense, you know, because frankly, some people aren't able to get a hold of an aerobatic aircraft without a safety pilot for insurance purposes. So I flew with Don Weaver in the trunk. Um, the <laughs> the and, and you, you can tell when you're in the box because the, the rules require you know the, the your safety pilot can help you with the takeoff and the landing, and it's actually not un unheard of that the the actual contestant you know can't land the airplane. Landing a pits is uh, involves the whispering of admonitions to Newton and Bernoulli and uh, and and so on. It's it's a really interesting process. But the don't don't forget Fred Astaire. <laughs> yes, actually, I, Ginger, I gonna, closer to say, Ginger Rogers. Yeah, Jeb. I was going to say Vito Corleone. <laughs> well, closer to Ginger Rogers because she couldn't see where she was going, and neither can you in the front seat of a pits. And she did it backward with heels. Um, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so what you, was? Yeah, go ahead. What was the routine like? What was it like? Uh, the primary is three of the four basic elements of aerobatics. It is uh, uh, loops. Rolls and spins. So the it's you, the whole thing's over in a minute. Um, although time seems to slow down for you, it's forty five degree upline, <laughs> push to level, one turn spin, half Cuban, which by the way is five eighths of a loop. Uh, so you're upside down. You you do a forty five degree downline, hold it, roll uh, level, hold it, and then pull uh, a loop. An aerobatic turn, which is really nothing more than a regular turn, except you're at at least 70 degrees of bank. And then a slow roll, which is exactly like it sounds. Um, for for those of you who've flown a little light acro out over the farm fields, it will be a humiliating experience. You need to be ready to take this the right way. It will be a humiliating experience to be able to look down and realize just how small that aerobatic box is. Fortunately for the primary, as long as you start the sequence in the box, and as long as you don't fly over the horizon, uh, <laughs> there are no out-of-box penalties. Okay. I was going to ask you about that, but go ahead. All well, right. Well, so shocks. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the... the yeah, this was my. I've flown a fair amount of acro and like super decathlons. The, the competition flights, I believe, were my fifth, sixth, and seventh aerobatic flights ever in this airplane. Um, as everybody knows, I, my call sign is dog bag. I have a weak tummy in the early going every season. I can only get about 18 minutes of, of flying in, in the airplane, and i got to go you know, stuff another hamburger bun down me just to you know, keep everything from, from coming up. you got, you got precious few instruments in the front cockpit of a, of a pits, and you don't want to obscure any of them with lunch. But uh, <laughs> the... It's almost easy. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm positive that it is easier in a pits in as much as you can power through a lot of the maneuvers, whereas like in a super decathlon, you, you need to really pay attention to the rudder and, and make up for what you can otherwise cover up with power. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the thing is, I am, no, you know, anybody who knows me personally knows that I am no superhero. Um, with a competent instructor and safety pilot in a good airplane, this is something that the average pilot with some training and some commitment can do. You, too, can get up in an aerobatic box with a series of four or five judges uh, looking up at you and fly upside down in class delta airspace. It is, I recommend it to anybody. Very cool. So, uh it, it, did it go smoothly? I mean, did you did, did the maneuvers work the way you intended, or how, you know, did you fly over the horizon, or close? 
Not quite. I recall seeing a Kmart parking lot in uh, at a point during the the sequence that I didn't expect to. Um, and the, the nice thing is, you oh know, crap! Box, where am I? I'm lost. Right? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I was even one of the guys who marked the box. Yeah. Um, it's on like, the ground. Oh my gosh! Is that Camp David? Right? It's like <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So the Washington Eight is. Where do I get the decal for the airplane? Where, yeah. Okay. What? Uh, oh, I had a question. Go ahead. So, what was it like? So you, you know, you were twittering, you were tweeting this throughout the afternoon. This is how I first heard that you were doing this, and uh, you, you. you I think you Twittered at one point. You said, okay, this is my first time in the box. Uh, What was it like to have to fly and stay in a very, very specified 3D area? It was, it was, uh, humiliating is not the wrong word, although it didn't have the the, the really bad connotations. But, you know, you have no idea how, how small that box is until you wave in over it. You do your first two maneuvers and you realize you've been, you know, out of the box for a good 10, 15 seconds. Um, it doesn't, one of the disadvantages of the front seat of the pits is you don't have that Lexan floor. You can't look down between your legs and have a chance of, you know, picking up a box marker. Um, you wave into the box, which is to say you must do three waves of 45 degree bank or more on your way in. Um, in a pits on the front seat, you've got to use that wave to look for the markers and at least be able to start your routine in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, the... It, it's not like flying in the farmer's fields. The Jackson Airport, the, the box was parallel with 624, which means there are no section lines that are any help at all. Um, you got to catch the runway out of your peripheral vision. That having been said, um, yeah, and, and I, I was really unhappy after my, uh, I flew one flight on Thursday, I flew twice on Friday in preparation for it. Uh, I had the routine down, and then, you know, one flight Saturday, one flight Sunday, uh, Long story short, I'm very proud that I did it, and the, the the clearly the biggest part of the experience was going out and flying aerobatics competitively in front of people who will give you feedback and 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 let you know how you're doing and and so on. The second biggest thing, in a very close second, is you walking around on the ramp with people from Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Canada. We had a lot of people from Canada, men and women, and. You know, some of the people flying the advanced and the the unlimited will come up to you and congratulate you, offer you pointers, offer to mentor you. And the most special thing for me was, that, you know, my very first aerobatic ride was it uh, with Brett Hunter in his Pitts S2C at Sandusky in 2007. Brett was there on the ramp flying the unlimited in an MXS, and he continues to be uh, one of the nicest, most unassuming guys you'll ever meet. I felt really proud to be on a ramp with the likes of Brett Hunter and, and everybody else like that. Yeah, very, very cool. Congratulations. We tease you a little bit, but uh, but very, very neat. And uh, um, congratulations on, on second place. Uh, you know, that's that really is terrific. I'm very, 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 very pleased for you. Oh, thank you very much. You're You're way too kind to let me babble about it. And so we're going to put your little plaque and photo right next to Jeb's um, uh, spot landing one. You know, Jeb has a picture very similar to this. He's a... Uh, I think it's in one of his bathrooms. <laughs> for, for, and for what it's worth, I, sh- I should note that AcroCamp cast member Michelle Cole placed first in the primary in a contest out in California and is contemplating flying another one later this year in Flying Sportsman. So congratulations to Michelle. Um, I lost the bet. I owe her a shot of Jeremiah Weed. And in, as the second place finisher between she and I, I get 
two shots of Jeremiah Wheat. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that, now that fits. <laughs> yeah, we were we were. You didn't make it to Sun and Fun. We had a bottle of this stuff at Sun and Fun, and uh, a lot of people got got indoctrinated. And uh, do you guys remember tasting this this stuff, this Jeremiah weed? And I haven't yeah, figured so. out what was supposed to be good about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's supposed to be anything good about it, Stephen. What's this? What's the history of Jeremiah weed? Oh, the the most authoritative story has to do with a pilot who punched out of an F-4 near Nellis, uh, who came back for a flag. Uh, they were driving around the countryside trying to find the plane. They stopped in a bar um, and, and asked directions from the bartender, and they were going to drink some sort of flaming drink, an afterburner. And they needed some sort of 100-proof liquor. The only stuff he had behind the counter was Jeremiah Weed. Um, they thought the stuff was so awful. And, and for those who don't know, it's Roughly, if Southern Comfort and, and Yukon Jack had an illegitimate child, this would be it. Um, long story short, they found the wreck site. They, they bought the bartender's entire stock. They spent all night sitting around the wreck site drinking it. Went back to Nellis, told the O-Club bartender to procure a whole bunch more of it, and it has since passed into legend as the preferred uh, drink of fighter pilots uh, throughout NATO. And, and inexplicably, it's like getting national advertising now they're trying to sell this stuff to people i see ads for jeremiah weed on tv all the time now it's very bizarre right i well, be, be, be beware there is there is one there is but only one variety that is that, that will not get you laughed out of uh around the campfire at oshkosh it is the 100 proof uh bourbon liqueur in the round bottle oh it's not okay blend in the square bottle and for goodness sakes it is not the sweet tea vodka oh okay well there we go so i didn't realize there was jeremiah weed and there was jeremiah weed all right so okay well, well oh, there's uh, many there's many weed varietals i see <laughs> okay all right wait listen we're running out of, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here um i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about one thing here and then i'm gonna invite uh, dave and jeb to pick another from the remaining items here the one i wanted to talk about was this video um of uh, a, a cherokee of some sort uh, uh executing an emergency landing in into a pond that was caught on video by some fishermen. Um, have you guys looked at this video? No. No? Well, then, then this conversation is going to be pointless because it all involves... The, where, the, where is it? I don't even see it on the link. It's uh, destroyed in seconds. Oh, that's the one? Yeah. So, um, no, I, I apologize. I did not see those videos on the list, nor did I click on them. The video um, is, is uh, so these fishermen, you know, they're kind of like, a little bit like watching a snuff movie, man. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I don't know about that part. Is but that Cherokee uh, or is that a Belanca? That's a Belanca. A Belanca. That's I, I called it a commander. And I think, Steve, is this the one you were talking about earlier that you said was near nearby you? I believe it. I did not see it. I was not associated with it, but I believe that um, we're talking about the aircraft that went into what's called Pontiac Lake, uh, which you swoop down over as you were landing on Niner Left or Niner Right at Pontiac, uh, the airport at which, Jack, you, you've spent some time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, the thing I, that I found notable about this video was, so um, So we, 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 we enter this video. I'm not watching it now because I don't dare, but um, as I recall, the, it's fishermen, and they're, kind of t- they're out on their fishing boat and their bass boat, you know, and they're shooting video and talking to each other, and suddenly someone goes, hey, look, what's that? And they aim the camera off in the distance, and we see an aircraft that's clearly struggling, um, that the wings are rocking left and right, you know, uh, and, uh, and it's kind of, you know, clearly in distress and clears the tree line and then drops although it maintains a relatively level deck angle uh, it drops suddenly and precipitously into the water and hits hard and and this is the part that i couldn't quite figure out in this video i i couldn't figure out what was going on that this airplane you would think that it would glide a little more smoothly even with the engine out it, Uh, it will it it could and should <laughs> yeah, and so I, I think he was out of air, airspeed and altitude. It, it just just from the looks of it, I don't have any personal knowledge. Yeah, he he looked looked like he was out of airspeed, altitude, and ideas all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so and, and, and landing but, area. I mean, you know, it, it, it was. Looked, a, it also looked as if the prop was turning. It, not, it looked as if, as if he was making power, but he just had a very high nose up attitude and a high sink rate. I, yeah, I can't well, tell from the video. And, and so perhaps what he was doing was struggling to keep the airplane in the air in order to clear the tree line so that he could make it into the water. Um, he'd have gotten over it with more altitude, more control yeah. if he'd have put the yeah, nose down. Yeah, well, that sort of was my thought. Uh, although maybe, you know, again, you know, we're not in the, in the cockpit, so we don't know what all the issues were. And, well, I wonder if the guy was having a medical issue. Well, I kind of wonder about that, too. Well, you know, you never know. Um, If you watch the rest of the video, uh, apparently there were three or so people in the aircraft. The two passengers, um, or the two people not not pilot flying, um, managed to get out pretty easily. The pilot flying was somewhat trapped in the aircraft. Uh, Fortunately, where he came to rest was in relatively shallow water, and so although the airplane was largely, was half submerged, um, he was above water. And so the emergency folks finally arrived, and they pried him out, and they carried him away. Um, But he was, other than being trapped and freaked out, he didn't seem to be in that kind of medical distress. I don't know. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say the guy was doing that to try to get into that water well, you know to not overfly it and go into trees because yeah he, he was, was in a mush all the way to the surface mm-hmm. yeah he was aiming he had lots water. of altitude over the clear trees yeah so it just he was he was way too slow to remain remain in control and i don't know if he pulled the power off at the last minute or if he deliberately stalled the airplane i can't tell but if he had stalled the aircraft and that's what i'm thinking about if he had stalled the air i mean admittedly he didn't have very much elevation very much altitude to work with but if it, if the aircraft had stalled if the wings had stalled the nose would have dropped and that's not what really what happened but it was in a mush yeah not necessarily yeah um yeah it just struck no, me as an odd idea. It just kind of, it's, you know. I mean, we give the guy credit for getting the airplane down and saving his passengers and himself, and uh, um, that's a good thing. But uh, it, it's an interesting thing to look at and try and picture, try and figure out what was going on. And uh, when, so. when they taught us ditching, such as they could teach us ditching without letting us do ditching, before we did the Cayman Caravan. Mm hmm. We went through a, a, a ditching clinic and how to use a life raft and a real swimming pool with a real life raft. And, you know, it ain't as easy as you might think. Well, uh, was that at the Bombardier stand-down, Dave? Is that, is that where you did that? 
Well, I've done it there, and I've did it uh, at Key West in a swimming pool at a motel, getting ready to fly across Cuba to Grand Cayman the next day. Uh, and there we talk a lot more about the actual uh, pilotage required to get the airplane in the water smoothly and safely and, you know, hopefully without flipping upside down, which I got to admit, this guy succeeded in that. He did not flip upside down. He hit, uh, you know, too, too vertical for, uh, for that to be an issue. Uh, but one of the things they talked about, if you're in a retract, keep the wheels up. Otherwise, they'll dig in and try to flip you. Uh, second, if you can push your airspeed up a little bit, and let the ground effect slow you down and hold your tail low. Hold the nose up and hold it up and hold it steady and steady and steady. It still starts to drag in the water and then it just stops. Yeah. You don't, so. want, you don't want any more vertical impact in this than you can have. I mean, as little as you can get away with. Right. That's, that's what works so well for uh, Captain Solenberger was that he had a lot of forward velocity, had a lot of airspeed, and he drug that A320's tail into the water when she hit, she hit straight level and stopped quick. Yeah. But so, almost no vertical component to it. So Yeah. Anyway, so we'll move on here. But I, I'm just kind of suddenly have, a, have an urge to say that I, I, I by no means intend to criticize the pilot in this video. Um, he did a good job. He got on the ground. He saved everybody's lives. Um, I just was trying to understand what was going on. I, I don't mean to be criticizing because yeah, he did no, a good that's, job. That's a very, that's well, a very not taking it that way. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Um, it's just it's not what you would normally picture an emergency landing being like. It was different, and I was wondering why. One, one thing that it does do is reinforce the the maxim that um, a land based airplane is really only good for one water <laughs> one water landing. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeb, uh, uh, I don't know whichever you want to go first. Any, any items not counting shout outs? We'll get to shout outs in a second. Oh, just real quick. Detlef and Lily saw your email about you getting the airplane repaired after the tornado hurt it in Lakeland, and now you're down in Central America catching up on your video editing. These are folks that are flying an RV around the world, and their airplane took a hit during the storm back uh, at Sun and Fun. Oh, yeah. uh, so they were able to get the airplane fixed up. They got a loaner rudder, got the airplane in the shop after a ferry flight got everything copacetic and back down to their home base working on the video that they're putting out about their experience. So congratulations, good luck, and we'll be looking for more. Yeah. David, did you ever meet Marion Cole? Yes. Tell me about this gentleman. Um, a legend. I, truly I a was legend. Lucky enough, I was lucky enough to meet him at uh, my very first Oshkosh, and I had no idea who I was talking to. It was Marion and Dwayne Cole. Uh, and they were two of the, the bright lights of, of uh, the air, air show circuit. And not doing this real high-energy, wham-bam, slam-em-around stuff that uh, a lot of the air show flying has is, is, is evolved into. But energy retention and precision stuff in little airplanes that almost anybody can own it by, like Decathlon's Taylor Craft and so forth. Uh, anyway, they were stars of the circuit. They were humble, uh, nice guys to chat with. And when I found out who I was talking to about a year later, it's kind of like, wow, didn't know that. Yeah. And we lost Marion this, what, past week? This past week. Yeah. Um, 
definitely had an impact, and uh, he'll be missed, but uh, but we're better for him having been around. Yeah. Shoutouts. Um, let's see now. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, we talked a couple episodes ago about, uh, uh, and I don't think we talked about this in the podcast, but I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to repeat myself if if maybe, possibly. Uh, John Ronce, uh, uh, aerodynamics expert and, uh, and cool guy and buddy of Bert Rutan, um, and we were wondering about whether or not uh, he was still around and when the last time he'd been to AirVenture was, and uh, uh, we heard from Charlie Becker, who uh, pointed out to us that he is not only returning to uh, AirVenture this year, but will be giving a couple of, uh, of uh, forum sessions on uh, aerodynamic design. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that these are going to be intensely technical sessions about wing cords and, you know, whatever, you know, boundary layers. and He just might surprise you. Laminar flow, but exactly my point. Um, he's a very cool guy. He's a very fun guy. Um, and it's, at the very least, it's worth sticking your nose in the tent for a little while to see what, what's going on because he's a cool guy. Um, well, and if memory serves, if you've ever flown a Hershey bar wing, Piper, Cher- Piper Cherokee, BA-28 model, you've flown some of his handiwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he'll be at AirVenture. Look for him in the forum schedule. Who else has got something? Uh, Jeb, you said you had a, f- a shout-out. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, and, and Dave and, and uh, Jack, I think you know um, the woman I'm speaking of. Lynn Harrison Reinhardt uh, used to live across the street from me here at Hidden River in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and her husband, uh, Randy, moved up to close to Sebring a few, uh, about a year ago, I guess. Um, she just uh, she, she's been doing some some macro also. Um, Steve, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, and um, recently in Rome, Georgia, she won the primary uh, category. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier, she had taken third at Sebring. Cool. Um, and this, and this outstanding. Is, uh, what was she yeah, flying? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, um, an airplane, I think uh, I, it was a. It's a dedicated um, uh, acro-built airplane. It's not her, so I'm not sure specifically what it is she's flying. Very well, very that's cool. Just, that's just very cool. Yeah, when you see her again, it's give her our her best. I know that, but it's, it's yeah. I will do that. I yeah. will do that. Cool, David. Yeah, shout outs. Congrats, Lynn. Yes, congrats, Lynn. I did mine. You did yours. Uh, let's see. Steven, you got any shout-out you want to throw in here? Very briefly, uh, STS-135, go Atlantis. They orbit above our heads as we uh, as we do this. I didn't quite make it into the box in time, but I'm very proud to have flown in the uh, in the aerobatic box um, at, you know, near the time of the launch of STS-135, Atlantis' final mission, last mission for the STS program. If you have Rush's Signals album, go get it out. Go listen to Countdown. Uh, which is based on Young and Crippen's STS-1 flight, and and think about the legacy of that program and think about what we're going to do in the future. Also, to Dog, Mildred, Skids, and GH, the Hoppers, uh, L-39 civilian jet team, unbelievably nice folks, uh, hopperflight.com. Wonderful, wonderful experience there. Cool, very cool. That's it. Time to stick a fork in this one. Stephen Tupper, thank you so much for joining us in the hangar. It's uh, long overdue, but we're glad you uh, had a few minutes to uh, to come on by. Uh, Stephen is uh, also known as Stephen Force of the Airspeed podcast, uh, which has kind of been a little neglected lately. Steve, what's going on there? My movie ate my podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're looking forward to when you have a chance to give us some more Airspeed podcast stuff, because that was always great. Uh, he is also, of course, the producer-director 
of the of Acrocamp the movie, and he is also known as Dogbag, the second greatest beginner acro pilot in Michigan. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Oh, and Stephen, so where can people find you on the internet? Uh, www.airspeedonline.com. Airspeed Online is all one word. And uh, www.acrocamp.com. Please stop by. And uh, Jack, thank and, and and David, Jeff, thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming on, man. Jeb Burnside uh, is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, and serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, jeburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, aea.net occasionally if I get my budding gear, and um, avweb.com occasionally. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where are you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, that aviation safety thing that Jeb mentioned, it'll come back to me in a second. Or just do a Google search and remember that I've never been into golf and everything I know about physics I forgot after high school. <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved law. Blah. Easy for me to say. Okay. I'm drinking Sunset Wheat, by the way, and I'm like three down here, which is unusual for me. You can Abita, read drinking a Abita Amber. Yeah. Jeb, what do you got tonight? That dog uh, stuff? I had a flying dog, uh, amber pale or something like that. It was, it's gone. Man. Yeah, Stephen, you drinking anything interesting? I got nothing but diet coke. That's usually my story. You can read the new improved blog. You can view the forums. You can check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live beyond Oshkosh, go fly. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That means the more you fly, the longer you live. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.